if you're a sports fan and probably even if you're not, you know who my guest today is. Stephen A. Smith is the face of ESPN, one of the most recognizable sports commentators alive today. And yes, you know his face, and if you watch him at work, you certainly know how he feels about this and that and the other thing. But do you really know Stephen A. Smith, the man? Well, after you read his memoir, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes, you really will. And this is a man you want to get to know far beyond his take on sports and politics and pop culture and the like. Just like he does on air every day in Straight Shooter, he really goes there. No holds barred. And I find this conversation with him today compelling, just like the book we're talking about. Whether you're a sports fan or not, you're going to learn life lessons in this chat and in this book, guaranteed. Take a listen. My guest today really needs no introduction, Stephen A. Smith, who, in addition to being a renowned and revered sports personality, is the author of the new book, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. When he's not writing compelling books, and as I told you offline, this is one of the best memoirs I've I've read in years, you can find him on ESPN's First Take or SportsCenter or talking about the NBA on the network's NBA Countdown. He also has a podcast of his own, No Mercy. So thrilled to have you here today. Welcome to the Thank show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm honored to have you here. And I want to ask you, growing up in Hollis, Queens, what would you have said to me if I had walked up to you in, say, 1981 and told you the path that your life would take that you outlined so well in Straight Shooter? I would have never dreamed it, to be quite honest with you. I, I, I you know, it took me years to gain the level of confidence needed in order to be able to imagine or achieve what I've achieved. Um, I certainly felt like I was determined not to be a loser. I didn't want to be somebody that um, just had nothing going on in my life, no aspirations whatsoever, you know, sort of like, you know, I I call it like zombie-like kind of thing where you're just going through the motions of life with no direction, no focus, no interest whatsoever. Uh, that mm-hmm. was never me, and I knew that, uh, but I certainly did not imagine that I would have enjoyed and achieved the level of success that I've achieved. It's truly a blessing. Uh, yeah. it, sh- it, sh- it shows me that you know God has placed his favor uh, down upon me, and I'm incredibly mm-hmm. blessed and fortunate to be in the position that I'm in. Well, you write in the book, the old line, I didn't even know we were poor, did not apply to us. We always knew we were poor and it was debilitating as hell. And speaking of not wanting to be, as you put it, a loser, you write at length about your contentious relationship with your father. And at one point he said something really damaging to you. He said, the boy just ain't smart. And you write, the fact is the words my father had muttered about me did hurt like hell. They really did wound me deeply, yet somehow I knew almost instinctively that blurting out those blunt, unthinking words was the best thing my father ever did for me. From the moment I heard him insult me, my determination kicked in. So that is really powerful stuff. How did you turn that hurt? Because that's a really damaging comment. I think you were around the fourth grade. That's a really damaging comment to hear from your father of all people at that time. How did you turn that hurt into drive? 
Well, first of all, he didn't say it to me. He said it to my mother, and I heard, I overheard And you overheard it, it right? Um, right. Um, I would tell you that, um, you know, it was devastating. And, you know, but when you have the greatest mother ever, Yes, that kind that kind of helps. And yes, my mother had this unwavering belief in me because I had work ethic. I was very very lazy around the house. I didn't want to clean my room. I didn't want to wash dishes and stuff like that. But when it came to work, uh, whether it was a job, you know, in school or you know playing sports or whatever, she saw my commitment and she saw my tenacity, and she just knew that it needed to be focused and locked in on something. And to have her supporting me, the inspiration was twofold. On one hand, people who doubt me is, are, are people who have always inspired me. I don't say much. That's when I get quiet. You know, when I lock in and my focus and my determination zeroes in in such a way that makes you, uh, makes me look at you like you have no idea what you've just done. But the other side to that is having such a wonderful and, and, and angelic mother um, who I just didn't want to disappoint. And I didn't want to make a liar out of her in terms of the belief and the faith yeah. that she had in me. And also because we were poor, um, it was just important to me to be able to grow up and to make sure that the life that I was ultimately able to provide for myself is something that I could branch out of and provide for her as well mm -hmm. um, to make sure that she had a better life. And so that was incredibly uh, integral to, to, to my development, my growth, because the confidence that I ultimately was able to build was born out of necessity. Mm -hmm. It was understanding that if I lied down and just failed, I didn't just fail myself, I failed her. Um, yeah. And that simply was something that I was not going to let happen. Well, you have a relationship with your mom as I do with mine. And I wasn't going to ask you this until later in the show, but I, I there's no way I can let you go without giving you a platform to talk about your mom. She is the first person that you dedicate the book to. Her spirit is all over these pages. I just want to give you a moment to talk about the truly wonderful woman that is your mom. And any reader will will fall in love with your mom in these pages. So will you tell our listeners about your mother? Well, my mother was uh, born and raised in St. Thomas, Virgin Islands, and um, she ultimately had six kids, and I was the youngest of six. She moved to New York for a better life, obviously, after my oldest sister, Linda, was born. Um, but obviously, her West Indian roots never left her. She never allowed it to leave us. And the things that she ended up doing were also born out of necessity. Uh, my father's unwillingness, and that's the that's the absolute appropriate word. He was not incapable. Um, he was not someone who was broke. He was somebody that chose to prioritize something other than some yeah. you know, things and people other than us. Well, what that did was that put the weight of the world on my mother's shoulders. And so my resentment towards him, um, to be quite candid, was not what he did or didn't do to me or for me. Mm -hmm. it was what he forced her to do because yeah. by forcing her to have to work 16 hours a day seven days a week with one week's vacation for 20 years at a minimum mm -hmm. robbed and deprived her of so much joy and in replacement implemented so much stress that she was devoid 
of the peace and tranquility I believe any loving mother should have. Yeah. And, you know, for me personally, it's something that resonates with me so much of the book. It's not to insult or to denigrate my father. It's to applaud and revere my mother. Yes. But in the process of, but in the process of doing that, can't do that without telling the story what's the truth and that, and that was the story that was yeah. the truth and it's so truth. and so for me you know I, but I only say that in all honesty because be very clear my mother did not want me to say any of this while she was alive yeah she made that very very clear she never wanted me to do that she wanted because she was very very private and she she knew that I would tell the truth but she swore to me, she knew that my popularity was growing and there was a demand for me to write a book and that ultimately there would come a day when I would write the book. And she made me promise years ago, you will not do this until I'm dead and gone. Only and you kept then that promise. You that. And I kept that promise. But she was the most wonderful woman I've ever known. Um, I, I, I cried every day for close to two years. Um, and there isn't a day that goes by that I don't think of her, that mm -hmm. I don't think of what she taught me, that I don't think of what she's done for me, um, that I, you know, I don't strive to be a better man. I've, I've always had a long way to go and I still have a long ways to go. Uh, but the man that I was, um, she was proud of that person before she passed away. And so I'd like to believe she's proud of me now. Well, it's impossible to read the book and not fall in love with her. It's it's impossible. And, you know, your grit is palpable on these pages. You write at different points in the book. I would I would amount to something, damn it. And failure was never an option for me. It was succeed or die trying. So your college basketball coach, Hall of Famer Clarence Gaines said, that boy wants to be somebody. And your beloved brother, Basil, who I also fell in love with, told you before his untimely death that you were going to be the biggest star in sports media and you have made him proud as well and have done that. Do you think someone is born with an it factor like you have, or is that cultivated throughout life? I think it's both. I think you are born. I think all of us are God's children and we're born with something. Mm -hmm. but how it's nurtured and cultivated and ultimately developed to the point where it services others is contingent on you. Um, yeah. Not just your commitment to exploiting the gifts that you've been blessed with, but your commitment towards doing it for something greater than just your own self-serving. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it comes down to. And so for me, I would tell you that I don't think that any of us are devoid of anything. Like, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, we have no endearing qualities. We have mm -hmm. no abilities. We have no potential. No, I don't believe there's a soul on this planet that doesn't have something to offer the world. That's right. But you play a role in figuring out what that is. Right. And well, you, you have to take make, action and do you it. Gotta, you got to take action and you got to make a decision as to whether or not that's what you're going to do. And everybody's will and commitment to, 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 to serving others and to serving the world and contributing to making the world a better place. It's not the same. And we right. all have to recognize that, which I'm sure we do. Well, I always say God skips no one in the blessings process. It's just what Correct. you do with the blessings that you're given. And you have taken your blessings all the way. And that is inspiring. That's going to inspire my listeners. And ESPN was always your dream. 
You signed on with the network for the first time in 2005 after career beginnings in print media and radio. You were with the network until 2009 when you were let go and you could have chosen to leave the business entirely. You could have quit, hung up your hat, walked away. But in the book, I love this exchange between you and Miami Heat president, Pat Riley. So you reach out to shake his hand. He will not accept your hand. He snapped at you, put your damn hand down. I'm not shaking your hand. You're acting like this is over, like you're finished. Well, you're not finished. Lift your head up and save the handshakes for when you come back because you will come back. So I'd love to know what did this exchange mean to you? It meant everything because I consider Pat Riley a winner and -hmm. a champion. And I know that he's considered that in the world of sports, but I consider him that in the way of life. And the reason why I consider that is because I read the book, The Winner Within, which he authored. And the things that he said in the book are consistent with who he is. Mm-hmm. And so for him to be a person that I could be in his presence, that I've had conversations with in the past, that I've witnessed his leadership, uh, his commitment to accountability, um, and the bottom line results sort of in preparation of the world, real world. Today, we think about guys like Bill Belichick for the New England Patriots in the NFL, Nick mm-hmm. Saban, the head coach at the University of Alabama, and others. Well, Pat Riley kind of preceded those guys, um, yeah. particularly when it came to winning. And so when I look at it from that perspective and to have him say those words to me, he could have simply shook my hand and moved on. Mm-hmm. He could have ignored me and used it as an opportunity to pounce on me. But he challenged me to dig deep and find my better self inside myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a begrudging, not begrudging, but in a, a terse or cervic sort of way, mm-hmm. he challenged me to be what he believed I could be. And so I would never forget when I ultimately returned and my star began to ascend at ESPN the first time. I saw Pat Riley after that, and he probably wouldn't remember this. I was in Miami before a game, and he winked at me, <laughs> and he said, good to see you again. And he, he walked knew. away, and he walked he away. And, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's little moments like that, and what it teaches you also is that you'd be surprised how to, what seems like the littlest thing can have such a profound impact, such a life-altering impact in such a way that I've never looked at Pat Riley the same. Before, I just used to look at him as this winner that was a great executive, great coach, et cetera. But now I look at him fondly Mm -hmm. um, in a very, very special way. There's an endearing quality about him that makes me have love for him. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time we were in Vegas just a few years ago and he was walking through the hallways of the Wynn Hotel. And I was sitting by the bar with a friend of mine. And Pat Riley walked up. And we just gave each other a hug. Mm-hmm. Just gave each other a hug. And it, it, it was never talked about. And it didn't need to be talked about. It didn't need right. to be said. But my gratitude to him is I don't know if he even realizes what kind of impact that moment had on my life. But I'll never forget it, and I'll be eternally grateful to him for it. And I'm sure you've paid that forward in dividends with other people. I try. Because, yeah, that's that's it's powerful. And so you did ultimately return, as you mentioned a moment ago, to ESPN in 2012. 
you're now the face of the network. So what is it like to achieve your dream? You're hired at ESPN. You're there for four years. You lose it. And then you get it back again, this time better than ever before. I think that sends a real message of hope that even at our lowest point, you can come back stronger than ever. It does. And I guess to a lot of people, it would be inspirational. Um, But I'm an honest guy, as honest as I can possibly be. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that the two words that jump to my mind are Mm -hmm. redemption, redemption. Yeah. And the other word is justice. Yeah. Um, I sit here in the year 2022. This happened to me in 2009. And I'm here to tell you right now, I never deserved what happened to me. Um, I accept accountability for my part. I accept the fact that I might have ruffled feathers the wrong way from time to time. I accept what my mother uh, said to me in terms of a harsh rebuke of a rebuke of how I may have conducted myself, but I was never unprofessional. I was never disrespectful and I never failed to perform. Mm-hmm. And for me to wake up one day and I have four jobs and a day later to have none yeah, and to have my future in je- placed in jeopardy because of innuendo, uh, speculation, in some cases lies, and in other cases just uh, someone's insatiable appetite to humble me. Um, do I go through moments right now, even now, where I feel that was cruel? Yes, mm-hmm. I do. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a big enough boy to handle it, to look at those same people and recognize the fact that, you know what? Stuff happens, and as long as I landed on my feet, we're good. But I'll never, ever, ever forget the feelings of pain, um, embarrassment, fear of my own future uh, that I was subjected to. And it's something that I believe I will hold on to for the rest of my life. I'm in Mm -hmm. a really good position now. Mm -hmm. I'm considered highly successful. Mm-hmm. Ask the people who are around me, ask the people who work with me, ask my family members and friends and loved ones who know me. They will tell you that I walk around and I work like someone who has achieved very little, who can mm-hmm. have this all snatched from me tomorrow. Because you did. Because just 14 years ago, mm-hmm. that's exactly 13, 14 years ago, that's exactly what happened happened to me right and I will never forget it as long as I live and I don't know if that's a plus or that's a malady that invades our psyche Mm -hmm. or whether or not that serves the purpose of the individual who elected to make that decision about me but nevertheless it's my reality it's something that I have to live with and it's something that I do live with every day of my life Mm -hmm. well you are an honest guy as you said the book is called straight shooter and and that that's you Georgetown basketball coach John Thompson said of you, the thing I love about Stephen A is if you want to know how he really feels, just ask him. And you write in the book, (laughs) you write in the book, do you want to really imagine the life I lead? Contemplate this every single day of my career, spanning years, I've awakened knowing I have to take one side or the other, guaranteeing I'll make someone unhappy. I've had to piss off someone every single day day. I make enemies daily. Yet you also talk about your why. You write, after all these years, the amazing part is that folks still appear oblivious about my intent whenever I tackle issues. 
They assume I'm just talking. They have no clue there's a method to my presumed madness on television, positively affecting the lives of the many, even if it's at the expense of a few. So I would love to know your process here. How do you approach tackling even the most difficult of subjects on a daily basis? This is your day in, day out, tackling the most controversial of topics. How do you take your own advice and be impactful? How do you do, how basically, how do you do your job? Because it's not easy. The first order of business is to edify myself, educate myself as much as I possibly can on a particular subject matter I'm going to tackle. Mm -hmm. Secondly, it's taken into account that I'm live. There's no seven second delay. It's not tape delay. It's not edited. It's literally live and in real time that I'm doing these things. So I'm mindful of that. Third is to be fearless in my pursuit to be as fair and as just and as appropriate and as accurate as I possibly can be while putting my humanity on display. Mm -hmm. Like a coach can be fired. The first words out of my mouth is, I want to say, I take no joy in saying this because the man is fired. I don't wish that on somebody. I don't wish someone to have the inability to take care of their family. No, no, well, you've I know been what there. that feels like. I've been you know there. what that feels like. I know what that feels like. Mm -hmm. But in the same breath, I'm also obligated to tell the truth about the particular incident that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. that's in question and at that moment people don't need your sensitivities and all your humanity and all of this other stuff that comes with it yes you can give them that but they're still looking for an answer as to the why of what you're discussing why it happened why is it necessary to convey to the masses etc cetera, etc cetera. so I have a job to do and so you take all of those things into consideration in real time and then you just go about the business of doing what you're supposed to do and that's mm -hmm. what I try to do. And I also understand that as the face of ESPN, I have an obligation to set an example. Um, I got, after all of these years, I got a huge contract and everybody knows about that. And I've got the number one morning show in sports television for 11 consecutive years. And all of these things have come into play. Well, there's not just a joy or an adulation or recognition that comes along with that. It also comes with a responsibility. The right. responsibility is to lead. If you're the face of something, you're the leader. You're the guy everyone is looking at to set an example of how things should be. And so when you know that that is the case, you have to conduct yourself accordingly if you're truly the leader. And that is something that I try to do uh, every day that I'm on the airwaves. Sometimes, most of the time I get it right. Sometimes I fall short. Mm-hmm. Well, because of the type of work that you do, you share polarizing opinions with a plum and gusto every day, you've encountered controversy. You've been suspended before. I'm specifically thinking about the Ray Rice incident, but yep. you write in the book, I've elevated because I recall details of how and why I fell and what obstacles I faced while trying to resurrect myself. I've scratched and clawed until I've achieved doing so beyond my wildest dreams. So would you say that is your biggest lesson throughout your life, your ability to learn from your mistakes? Because it really feels like you do learn from every mistake that you encounter. Absolutely. Um, I think that, and I credit my four older sisters, Linda, Arlen, Abigail, and Carmen, along with my mother, God rest her soul. And the reason mm -hmm. why is because they never, they never hesitated to tell me when I made a mistake and what I needed to do to make up for it. 
And women so will we, do that. Women will tell right. you exactly where without, you feel. <laughs> without question. And so when you were raised of that ilk, it just, all you're doing is, is continuing to be you. This is what you've learned. This is what it's about. And that's how you have to deal with life. And so, you know, for example, when we look at our political stratosphere uh, that exists today and even years ago, it was almost a crime, per se, for people to acknowledge they made a mistake. I've always had opposition to that kind of thinking. You make a mistake and you feel and believe that you made that mistake, own it. That's right. Own it. It's Mm -hmm. what you did. It's what you have done. You are responsible for that. And then you own it and moved on because once you own it, it's for others to deal with. Your inability to own it is what makes it, uh, what, what allows it to be something that you continuously have to absorb and harbor. But once you've dealt with it and once you've embraced and accepted, it, then you turn around and that's for other people to deal with it. You're fine. I said my piece. I was wrong. I said I was wrong. I apologize. I'm going to strive to make sure that I don't emulate or duplicate this mistake again. We move forward. If you want to hold on to it, that's your business. And you move on. Yes. I mean, there you go. Well, as we begin to wrap up our time together, which I hate that our time is coming to a close, I want to point out a couple of things. Number one, you're very good at acknowledging the people in your life that have gotten you to where you are. Your dedication page is long. The acknowledgement section in this book is probably the longest acknowledgement section I've ever read. And I read a lot of books. It's at least six or seven pages. And, you know, you've achieved your dream of becoming the face of ESPN. Check. You mentioned hosting your own late night talk show in the book a couple of times. So I have to ask, what other dreams do you have left to achieve because you are a young man you have plenty of life left plenty of runway so personally and professionally what what's on the vision board for you what dreams do you have left i would tell you i would love to host my own late night show i would love to succeed somebody like a jimmy kimmel or have my Mm -hmm. own late night show on a outlet like hulu or something um i would love to for my production company to explode and for me uh to create a, a something that would put me um, in, in the same paragraph of a Jerry Bruckheim or a Dick Wolf or somebody. I would love to develop film and television shows if I'm so fortunate and blessed and gifted to pull something like that off. And of mm-hmm. course, my podcast, No Mercy, is incredibly important to me so because good. I always, I always want to have an outlet where I have a voice. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, January 9th was when my podcast went to video for the first time. And so mm-hmm. now people will be able to see me, not just hear me. You see the background here right now. I know and, it's, um, it's, it's aspirational background for me. You can see you. my background. <laughs> right so it's just it's just it's just something that's incredibly important to me because I've made my bones by developing and cultivating a voice that was the, that 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 reached the masses. And I don't ever want to give that up, no matter what aspirations I may have. Um, I love doing television. Mm-hmm. I love doing my podcast. I love having a voice. I love being able to to venture beyond the world of sports. I never, ever, ever want to give up sports, sure. but I never want to be limited by it either. My podcast, I touch on politics. I touch on social mm-hmm. justice issues. I touch on pop Kanye culture, West. entertainment, everything. Yeah, I don't stop and there are no limits. And it's incredibly important to me to be able to do that because I want people out there to know that I'm a voice to be reckoned with. And I'm a mm-hmm. voice that people are going to have to deal with. I want presidential candidates having to come through no mercy. 
I want people in con in, in pop culture and entertainment to 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 want to come on No Mercy. Mm-hmm. You know, Will Smith and Chris Rock and and that fiasco. I want them to know they could come on No Mercy. I want the athletes and and public figures to know they could come on No Mercy. But I also want the police commissioner of New York to come on No Mercy. Mm-hmm. I want the governor of Arizona to want to come on No Mercy. I want a presidential candidate or a senator or a congressional figure to come on No Mercy. I want my platform to be something that contributes to making a difference, to help mm-hmm. make the world a better place. And that's what yeah. I'm after. And that's what I'm aiming to achieve. Well, that it goes back to what you said in the book about making impact. That's the difference between talent and, empo- and, and an employee. That's what you taught me. So impact is the difference maker. That's I have right. one more question for you. I ask yes. all of my guests this at the end of the show. What do you hope readers take away from Straight Shooter? Because I took away a lot. I feel like I know you. I, I'm, I've been a fan forever. But now I feel like I know you, the man, and that makes me actually love what your your work even more. So what do you hope readers take away from Straight Shooter? Um, I hope they're motivated. Um, I hope they're motivated to, if they're sitting on their behinds, to get up and go Mm -hmm. for what you know. I hope they're inspired, understanding that, you know what? You don't have to be Jay-Z or the late Kobe Bryant, God rest his soul, or some mm-hmm. actor like Tom Hanks or Denzel Washington or somebody. You can be somebody who scratches and claws and gets your education and works your tail off every day, and you can build a very fruitful um, and, and rewarding life for yourself. Um, if you follow your path and you're focused and you're disciplined and you go for it, um, that's the kind of thing that I, I try to send. I hope the message is inspirational. Like I've said on many, many occasions, when you see some of these huge, big stars, they're not the American dream. Their American fantasies haven't become mm-hmm. reality. I'm yeah. the American dream. I'm the guy that was that had dyslexia. I'm the guy that got left back in the fourth grade. I'm the guy who was told I would be nothing. I'm the guy who spent years believing I'd be nothing. And I'm the guy who rose from the ashes to become something far more than my wildest dreams would ever allow me to conjure. And so for me, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Um, And that's what I'm hoping everyone receives, the message everyone receives rather, when they read Straight Shooter. Well, the book is unflinching insight into a remarkable life. It's impossible to not walk away learning lessons from your journey. Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes is out January 17th. One of not just the best sports memoirs I've read, but as I said at the top of the show, one of the best memoirs I've read in years. Thank you so much for being here today. It's a true honor. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you having me. Thank you. I so enjoyed speaking with you, Stephen A. I was a fan before and I'm even more of a fan now after the book and after getting to know you a little bit on air. Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes is out January 17th and is one of the best memoirs, sports related or not, that I've read in recent memory. Friends, stay tuned to the show this week and this month and this entire season six. We've got some great conversations headed your way that I can't wait for you to hear. Talk soon and have a great start to your week. 